everyone. Welcome to another episode of My Work, My Baby. I am really excited to introduce my friend from medical school, Serna. She is an MD, PhD, and actually just finished her thesis, studies the immune response to HIV, and she just had her baby. How old is Rian now? He just turned eight months. Wow. And during that, her partner is also in medicine, is also an MD, PhD, and just finished up part of a very intense clinical year. And now will continue on with his specialization in critical care. So I'm sure with COVID and everything, he is also extra busy. So I think the first thing I want to talk about was take me back a little bit before the decision. How did you think kids would fit into your life when you were younger, even before you met Kevin and started this whole journey? Sure. I had had a vague sense that I wanted to have kids in my future. I actually was never one of those people who, when I saw a kid, was like, oh, I got to have a kid. (laughs) I was like, you know, I like to admire from a distance. That's how I was. Mm -hmm. I think since meeting Kevin, his brother and sister-in-law had kids somewhat on the earlier side. And so spending more time with them and their kids kind of introduced me to what life is like having young children. So that was, I think, my first like eye-opening glimpse of a young family with children. And I still wasn't really thinking that I would have kids on the earlier side. So I was thinking kind of a little bit later, once I had established myself in my career, finished my MDPG training, theoretically also finished my residency training. And then at that point would be a worthwhile time in my career where things would be a little bit more stable. I would have maybe less demands of my time professionally and would be able to have a kid in a less stressful environment professionally. So it was kind of more based on, you know, achieving what I want to achieve professionally first. So that's kind of how I saw it. I think a couple of things came into the decision for why we ended up not doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, Kevin is a couple of years older than me. He's about three and a half years older. He had wanted kids from a while ago, but we wanted to make sure both of us were on the same page. He was always gung-ho. It was more just based on me and my readiness. And COVID was really a unique circumstance for everyone. And it was honestly probably main factor in allowing us to reevaluate our goals and our timelines because I wasn't able to go into lab. I wasn't able to finish a lot of the things I needed to finish for my PhD. I inevitably needed to delay my return to med school, which ended up being, you know, a full year delay Mm -hmm. because you can only go back to med school at certain times of the year. So I had kind of a little bit more built-in time where I had more flexibility, which is the grad school schedule. I had this realization that as a medical student, I was not considered an essential employee based on the emails that I was given from Hopkins that basically At the med school stage, I'm still not responsible for taking care of the patient, like from beginning to end. That's the job of the resident and the attending. Like I have much, much less responsibility at this stage. I, you know, if I need to leave early, if there's an emergency with my kid, I can leave early and no one's going to care. I mean, maybe my evaluation will be slightly less, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's much less writing on your role as a medical student. And it kind of hit me that I really didn't need to take my third year and myself as seriously as I had anticipated. I mean, I wanted to do well, but you know, if I wanted to embark on a major life adventure, it was actually potentially not a bad idea to do it while I was still in training as a medical student before residency. And you and Kevin have very demanding careers and actually are more similar in career paths than the last couple I interviewed. But why do you think he had such a different thought or 
preparedness for this than you did before COVID kind of hit and it changed your lab schedule and things like that? Well, first of all, he's the guy. So, (laughs) (laughs) but why Um, should that matter? I mean, of course it does because he doesn't go through the actual health implications of the pregnancy. Right. But still, there are many other parts of taking care of children that hopefully can be a partnership. Why do you think that makes it so different? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, uh, <laughs> it's going to sound silly, but like a personal sense of adventure and flexibility because he has definitely more of those things than I do. And he's mm. kind of a person who can like run with situations without feeling the need to be overly prepared or mm-hmm. having it together. I think he honestly is at his best when he has the least sleep, when he has the least preparation. <laughs> he's just like, oh my gosh, like I mean, he has always said having a kid will be tough, but it'll be tough at many points in your career. And you were all adaptable. We'll learn how to do this together. And we will be able to learn how to do well at our careers and manage having a kid and being, you know, nurturing parents. We're smart enough individuals and we're capable enough that we're going to make it happen. So I think he had more just (laughs) (laughs) self-confidence than I did that we could handle it. And I think the long view is at many different parts of your career, it's going to be challenging. Like if I had a kid in the beginning of my faculty, when I'm just starting out, that some would argue that that is actually the most important time in your career as you're trying to establish yourself and say, you're trying to start a lab and it's everything is on you as to whether your lab is going to succeed, whether you hire the right people to carry out projects. And at that point, you don't have a supervisor telling you, oh, this project or this question is going to be really interesting. Investigate it. You're coming up with the interesting questions. You're writing the grants. You're the one who's driving everything. And then put in a three-month-old and four hours of sleep a night. You have a situation where a very, very critical time in your life is also coinciding. There's challenges in many different times. His thought was this is potentially a less challenging time than we think it might be for the reasons I mentioned earlier, being a med student versus being a resident or an attending. So he was like, if you take the long view of it, it's actually not so bad right now in terms of our responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember you had a really great baby shower where we were all able to get together on Zoom and we guessed your cravings and all the events that happened and how much you weighed. And I think that was the first time that I felt as your friend really engaged in the pregnancy to really see a view into your lives and what it's been like. And it was really miraculous because I just remember you saying you were pregnant. And then by the time we did the baby shower, you were already in your third trimester. And I was like, wow, where did all the time go? How did it go so fast? It also made me wonder at the time with COVID, I remember we were all being super careful, especially with the help that we were willing to allow into our home, the type of isolation that we did. Do you think Mm -hmm. that that affected you at all? Could you have envisioned a way other people could have helped you more during those early phases in your pregnancy? Or do you think no matter what, it's kind of something that not many other people can be as much a part of um, until the baby's born, really? Um, I definitely think that contributed to some of the challenges um, of being pregnant during COVID because we stopped having, you know, someone come, we used to have someone who would sometimes clean our place like once a month or just help here and there. And I stopped doing that with COVID. I 
probably could have gotten help from friends, probably with groceries or just random things when I was getting too big, things like that. I think rather than the physical help, COVID more so just very psychologically was frightening from the perspective of if I were to get it, how would it affect my baby and just Mm. being constantly vigilant and alert. Um, I mean, which is, it was our choice to have a kid knowing that there was a pandemic. So we realized that these were the situations that we were going to be vigilant about, especially since Kevin was always in the hospital. And especially in the beginning, before he started his intense clinical year, pulmonary critical care fellows were called to do a lot of the early work at the the BCU, the biocontainment unit at Hopkins when COVID was just beginning. And that's mm-hmm. also when I was starting to be pregnant. So that was, I think, the scariest time when yeah. we didn't really know that much about COVID. They basically called all the fellows, regardless of whether they were in re- research years or non-research years or whatever, to take mm-hmm. shifts in the COVID units to treat the patients. And so that was, I think, probably a pretty, the most stressful time is like when I knew he was on those units and when I was in the very beginning of my first trimester, Um, Which, you know, as you know, is like probably the most vulnerable time in terms of organogenesis and things like that. Right. Um, But, you know, I can't complain because COVID had normalized video get togethers. We were able to (laughs) like have a baby shower with friends from, you know, in LA and then in Seattle and New York and Chicago. And so there were like hidden blessings of the pandemic that allowed me to stay connected with all of you a bit more than I might have otherwise too. So there were definitely pluses and minuses about doing it. I will say that another plus was that I could hide my pregnancy for longer, which was pretty nice. I didn't have to answer questions as early as I might have otherwise, which is you know always a nice thing. Why do you um, think that is a plus to you or important? Um, I just like, for instance, you know, if I had meetings with collaborators or if I had professional meetings where I just didn't want to explain my status or when I would be due or how this would affect my work or my productivity, no one needed to know. It was nice for everyone just to see me as the same person professionally and not see me any different, I think before or after being pregnant. And that I think that was yeah. just important for me that I was able to keep professional relationships professional. I find that whole dichotomy actually really difficult to contend with because on the one hand, if we can keep our professional and our personal lives completely separate, then we continue on just as if you weren't pregnant and you get equal mm-hmm. treatment to your partner. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, of course, you're experiencing something that's completely unequal in terms of yeah. the toll on your body and the mental energy and everything that's going on at home. And there is no support then if nobody else knows kind of what's yeah. going on. And I think that really ties into this idea where you were talking about this double-edged sword of the pandemic on the one hand made it so really no one could go into lab. And so you had the flexibility to be at home and have the time and this opportunity yeah. to have a baby. But on the other hand, you were contending with the risk of inherently of the pandemic. And I think we've talked about this before too, that there are different articles on productivity and and there's different arguments or thoughts of, should we just have everyone be less productive so that we're all equalized? Should it be that we understand that this is a an important and special time in someone's life and just see it that way and not try to make it equal in some way or other mm-hmm. when it currently isn't. And I think that we all kind of straddle that line where on the one hand, in some circumstances where it's beneficial, we want people to know 
that we're considering a family or considering pregnancy, when that means that you'll be able to get more leave or people will be more understanding or when it is a critical juncture. But on the other hand, there are times like you're saying where you really don't want people to know because it's not an environment that is, it puts a lot of the narrative out of your own control. Um, and I've heard other people talk about that too and the, the difficulty of it. I guess what I would be more interested in is people have a lot of assumptions of what your productivity or your work life or anything is like once you're pregnant. How did you actually experience that? Your pregnancy as you were still doing your lab work, still continuing everything that you had to do with your papers and still thinking about transitioning back to medical school. I mean, overall, I felt like, well, my perception of my productivity was it was definitely lower. I mean, there's no way the same level of productive as you are <laughs> when you're not growing a human being. So my productivity was definitely lower, but tried to kind of make up for it by instead of intensity, just quantity over spreading it out over days. And I think in terms of how people perceived of my productivity, I think there were definitely times where I felt like people are probably thinking I'm slacking. I would not return some emails for like a week. And initially that would bother me. And then at some point I was like, as long as I knew that I was doing the max capacity mm -hmm. of what I was capable of, which I definitely was doing, I was not worrying myself too much about what people were thinking about me because there was only so much I could really do and there was only so much I could worry about especially post-pregnancy and realizing just how limited my time is but I think um, overall everyone was reasonably respectful of my time. I think that's really frustrating because we, you know, we read this article together, this idea that people have this assumption many times that physician scientists willingly leave the workforce and that we willingly mm -hmm. give up these things and we're willingly changing that career path or not wanting to do it. And I think your experience really speaks to the idea that you're just prioritizing what's important. You know yourself, you're confident enough really to be able to continue on that way despite different criticism and pressure. And I would say a lot of other people, myself included, I think may not have been able to get through that so unscathed or as elegantly as I think you did. I think two big points that this really makes me think about is one, on a whole, especially in American society, I feel we're so cruel about the idea of a hiatus in our work. You know, like other fields, when you're older in your career, you get the idea of a sabbatical or a time to kind of develop and grow and to be away from your current job duties. Mm -hmm. And that's considered normal. And why is it so abnormal for you to say, I'm going to take a year or two out of my 30, 40, 50 year career to do something that is critical for this time frame? And then I will return and continue onward. Because I think sometimes the trade-off that we're seeing that people don't think will happen is that a lot of people, if they don't have that opportunity, they just leave the workforce. And isn't that a lot yeah. worse that you train someone for so long and then they don't have a choice, but you know, in a hostile environment to leave and you give up so many more years of this so-called idea of productivity. But I think the second is this idea, I think juggling being a physician scientist must be really difficult because you have both your lab work and that mind space. And then you have the mind space of when you're in the clinical setting. But when I was interviewing for, for fellowship recently, actually, one of the interviews that sticks out to me the most is one of the fellowship directors really told me, he was like, you know, Ophelia, you have to be really happy in your home life because yes, our patients are extremely important to us. 
But you know, at the end of the day, your child or your husband or your family, there's only one of you. And as much as you think that you're such a wonderful, and I'm sure you're going to be a wonderful clinician, there are other people who can replace you, but nobody can replace you in that home life. And I thought that was such a jarring thing to say, because we never say that. We always place our patients first and what we're doing in our work first. But it just got me thinking like, wow, this is a narrative that I think is much more common in other aspects or maybe in other cultures, but we're so harsh on ourselves in thinking that way in the space that we're in now, both in medicine and science, just in general in American culture. And I think that perpetuates a lot of this guilt and, and this environment that just, you almost feel like you're conceding or if other people are supporting you, you feel like they're doing you this big favor or being so magnanimous in saying, oh, it's okay if you don't do this right now, because I understand you're doing something. But Mm -hmm. it's sad that it's normalized that that's almost like a favor that's done for you at that phase in your life. Yeah. As opposed to just something that's built in or normalized. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely a balance of, you know, what you said um, just now though, because there's a one extent where you, you feel completely indispensable, right? (laughs) So then Mm -hmm. you don't have as much motivation necessarily. Like you have to have some level of self-importance that you're contributing. Otherwise (laughs) it kind of takes away from your motivation. But I think that point is really well stated that while you should have some self-importance that you're providing something to the field, you're probably providing a really indispensable role to your family. Um, And I think it is something that we ought to talk about more because we don't act that way. We really don't. And this, this goes back to when people say, you know, when you make a little pie chart and you say, what percentage of my life do I put importance on XYZ? And then what percent of time do I actually place on those things? There's such a disconnect that. Yeah. It makes me really happy that you were able to find a mindset. So it's not that your situation changed, but you had a perspective or attitude change that helped you find the best space for yourself. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it always goes back to me thinking, well, what's the environment in which you could have had both, right? I think you need a little bit of both. You need your own mindset, but then you also need an environment that can be more supportive. Yeah, I think I was really lucky in that I knew that making the decision, as I mentioned, there were situational things that made it like a smart decision for me right now and um, for my husband. I knew that we would be getting support from my PI to make this decision and that he would be there for me the whole way, he and his wife and, um, you know, my other mentor as well. And that, yes, they might still have demands of me, even though, even though I'm pregnant and all that, but they basically kind of looked towards me as like another daughter and they take care of me as, Mm -hmm. as such. And that, and I wouldn't be, you know, not many times in my life would I be supported by a mentor in that way. Um, So, you know, my parents weren't around, but like they're kind of second set of parents. And so it was really nice that I had them there um, while I was kind of going on this whole journey. Like they would always ask how I was doing. They threw me a separate baby shower, which was very lovely. That's so um, lovely. What a treasure to find, like a PI who's like your parents. <laughs> I feel like that should yeah, be the goal of every yeah. single kind of yeah, person going truly... into it as a physician scientist, finding a PI who kind of treats you and takes care of you the same way your parents would. That is very wonderful. Yeah, it's really, really, really lucky. And I think that definitely helped me with this decision of making 
such a big life change and knowing I would have such strong support professionally. So, and and that's something I didn't know. I know that your mentors are super supportive, but I remember from my perspective, when you announced that you were going into this pregnancy, we had always talked about it in a very nebulous way, but I was like, oh my goodness, it's happening. And it felt so sudden. I didn't really understand the context. Yeah. I mean, because you, because you were part of the discussion of whether I should do it or not. I know. And I was like, wow. And at the time I thought it was all pandemic driven. And I just was like, okay, I, maybe it's that this is just the opportune time. And so despite the other reservations and the other things you were thinking, you know, you couldn't wait. This was the time, but this makes actually a lot of sense in the context of everything else that you already had such a strong social support set up that this was just kind of a tipping point of like, oh, this is an additional, almost like sign to say, well, maybe now is the best time and, and we're going to go forward and do it. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Like yeah. the, all the cards were there and it was mm-hmm. just COVID revealed the fortune that I was you know, given of all yeah. these kind of situational things working out in my favor. I think it is important to weigh a lot of these things given, you know, my path and given the the times in the career that are going to be busier than others. And given the fact that I'm already in my early thirties and I want to minimize my risk of pregnancy yeah. complications mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think it does make sense to plan, even though it, it sounds a little bit almost quite calculating in that sense, yeah. but yeah, well, it I is totally understand. <laughs> I feel like I'm a huge planner in my life too. And I don't think I do that well with big surprises either in the same way whereas I think Daniel actually is a lot more like Kevin kind of go with the flow and take things as they are so I think it's nice to have that balance in your relationship so now that he's born and I love seeing all the photos and videos and I actually think it was such a treat that I was able to visit you guys and and see him especially in the middle of all this so how has it been since the delivery, because um, the last time when I interviewed Maple, she actually hadn't delivered. So we didn't get to talk about this part of the pregnancy at all. So oh, okay, gotcha. postpartum gotcha. and recovery and how has it been integrating him into your lives now? Yeah, it's been wonderful. So I would say three weeks after um, pregnancy, Kevin was like, I can't imagine our life without him. And I was like, oh, well, I, that, yeah, it's a very awe statement, but I definitely was like, oh, well, I can. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you mean. Cause you're like, but I remember what my life was like when I slept more. (laughs) But now it's different. Cause I, I, I actually have a hard time like recalling how my life was before him. It's like very different. Things have changed a lot. Um, um, yeah, so postpartum, postpartum was hard, um, but it's hard for everyone. I was in pain for like several weeks afterwards. So that was not fun when you have yeah. like tears and everything. But um, my mother-in-law is a pretty active woman and she didn't really let me stay in bed for very long. She was like, nope, you gotta like get up, start doing things. And even though I was so, so angry at the time, Aww. because I, all I wanted to do was like <laughs> sleep, you know, in between feeding. It was actually really good for my recovery because, you know, walking mm. and I'm not even talking about walking outside. I'm just talking about walking through our apartment. <laughs> it definitely helped me kind of get more functional on an early so that was good and we were really lucky so our in-laws stayed with us for about three weeks at some point like two weeks one week and then another week later my parents stayed also for um, a total of four weeks 
split between two weeks and then two weeks separately. So we had almost like seven weeks of help spread between them, bef- like before and after our son's birth. And then um, Kevin had like four weeks scattered in there of paternity leaves. So that was helpful. Um, oh, that's and, really nice. I didn't know he had a paternity yeah. leave like that. Um, it wasn't really official. He kind of cobbled it together through vacation mm-hmm. days and stuff. So I see, that's I see. a whole other conversation for another day. But um, yeah. but um, but regardless, we had the time to kind of really get acclimated with our new lives and with our son. And some of those, the early days, you know, when Kevin and I were home alone, taking care of Rian, you know, when our parents had left, it was like some of the most, the happiest moments because it was just, you know, everything was on us to make sure things were going well and Rian was eating and everything. And it was just so joyful because I could see Kevin fall into the role of a dad so easily and it was just phenomenal taking care of our son and it was kind of like falling in love with him over again but in a different way um and seeing that side of him like I've told you about um and he continues to do that um even though he doesn't have as much time at home but um yeah so as the weeks went on we were able to slowly get to a semblance of uh, working in having an infant with our lives. I would say in the beginning, it was pretty tough because there were times, especially when Kevin and I were alone together with our son, where I felt like, wow, this is bliss. But then there were also times where I felt really sad because I wasn't working and I felt like, you know, not, a, not having a sense of purpose was really hard. Um, mm. I mean, I did see my purpose at the time as you know, raising Rhea, but like it still wasn't, you know, it for me. Like I still needed my work. I still needed the science. I still, you know, I would get these notifications of, you know, the table of contents of the articles that were published a little bit nostalgically and think, oh, I wish I was doing science or I wish I was, you know, you know, these are really interesting papers. Like I wish I was kind of in that world still. So I remember in the beginning feeling really sad and kind of at a loss because I felt like I couldn't do any work. Like I was just either sleeping or feeding our son. There was this intro course for clerkships when I was returning to med school that I was supposed to take in February and March. And somehow I was supposed to do these classes while I was three weeks postpartum, which was hard because I like was still, you know, it was still like feeding every three hours. So it was like kind of really challenging to fit that in. So it was just, I'm forgetting a lot of it, but I, I will I will say that like in the beginning, I was, I did have a fair share of days where I was down about, you know, A, not being able to do work, B, not, you know, having the time to do anything besides feeding or things like that, our son. And then C, just trying to somewhat keep up with the things I was supposed to keep up with in the residual time that I had, even though I like really wanted to use that time to sleep, for instance. So I would say those were like the hardest moments of the first two or three months. But, you know, gradually, like I would say after 10 weeks, things started to kind of stopped having that, you know, med, med school thing responsibility. He was sleeping better. Like I was able to get five hours um, at some point. And then he slowly started to do seven hours. And, you know, the sleep was like a big deal. Once we got like a little bit like more concrete blocks of sleep, it was much more doable in terms of our like ability to kind of engage with other parts of our lives. Like for me, like, you know, trying to go back to working on papers or reading or things like that. And it felt nice because then I felt like I had parts of myself back again, the science that I was missing or like the professional parts of myself that I felt like I had lost. And I think since then we've had really great nannies who have helped me 
continue to do work, finish my, I couldn't have done my PhD without their help. Um, I had even helped during the weekend, some weekends when Kevin was working, when I had to like really crank out my thesis. Um, and I just like needed someone to help watch him. Um, so, um, and that's basically how I was able to get things done and, you know, finish the PhD in August, um, and then manage everything and make sure that he's well taken care of and eating right and eating like healthy foods and following the milestones he's supposed to follow and like we get our fun time with him when they're done taking care of him at the end of the day when he's napping we use that time to work when he's you know asleep at the end of the night we go back to work we have learned to be pretty efficient with our time and it's really hard but I try when I'm playing with him to just focus on him and not think about the work that I have to do Mm -hmm. I won't lie and say that I'm perfect at it a lot of the times I am in the back of my head thinking of Oh, I need to like get through these things or this assignment or whatever. Oh my gosh, and you know, Sterna, we've talked about this even with our partners that we should be 100% always focused on our partners while we're eating dinner or something else. But yeah. of course, there are times where we're like, they're like, are you paying attention? And you're thinking yeah. about some email or something. Yeah. Pending. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, really um, it's definitely hard to like do that all the time. But I'm only realizing now, like, how fast this time passes I cannot believe he's already eight months and these milestones that he's experienced I've like just the other day it feels like he just started crawling and now he's like almost gonna stand and it's it's crazy how this time has gone and so I don't I I want to be able to be present for at least most of it and try to like allow my brain to compartmentalize things where you know when I'm with him to just focus on that but I know this is like a perennial struggle of like working parents or people who have like lots of demands is like trying to slice your brain in different directions so it's it's definitely hard and it's a challenge but I think he enriches our lives so much in ways that I didn't anticipate that it it makes everything worthwhile and it makes it gives my life a greater kind of overall purpose than it it had before. Obviously, I still have the purpose of trying to help people in medicine, trying to work on something important in science that can advance medicine. But I think on a personal level, say I do whatever I do in my professional career and say I make it, say I don't make it, whatever. Like I (laughs) I view the fact that I have a kid and can pass on my values to my kid and see him grow as like potentially one of the biggest gifts that I can give to society mm-hmm. as well. Like mm-hmm. part of, of that is raising a kid to be a good human being in society and to help me learn to see the world in a way that I didn't necessarily see before. I just am constantly amazed. I'm sorry, I'm blabbering. I can stop in a second, but like, you know, when Rian like falls, he like will continue trying to like climb up on the chair to stand and then he'll fall and he'll repeatedly do that. And he's like really happy every time he's doing that. And it's like such a nice contrast between a baby (laughs) and an adult because you know, we like, we apply for this grant or this F30 or whatever. <laughs> and like, like, so doesn't, sad. Yeah. It doesn't go well. It failed. You're like, oh, I'm such a bad, like, I'm such a, mm-hmm. you know, horrible scientist or horrible writer or like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't succeed. And then you like, you, it's so cool to see the world like they do because they just don't care. They just keep trying and they just continue to see 
challenges as fun adventures. And it's nice and refreshing to see how the world, how kids see it, because it does you a lot of good <laughs> to kind of be reminded of, of that perspective. I think that's really beautiful. And I think what's most important is that this is really your lived experience. And this is what you've seen and what you've learned. And it's really a gift that I get to hear about it really as you're as you're living it I think there's three things from this that I want to talk about that I think we can think about and other people who listen to this can think about just kind of lingering questions or thoughts I guess the first is this idea of all of these unconscious just wonderful benefits that you talk about with having kids that we just had no idea would be a thing before you started your family it reminds me a lot I I wish I remember the author of this book. I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about how back in the day, people would take walks and things like that in the middle of their work day, or they would just take a hiatus or something. And that's when they would have the most creative ideas and really be able to do the most and contribute back and feel refreshed. And I don't think that as a society, we really value that. We always think of the body and the mind and our experiences is so disconnected, especially mm -hmm. as we think about like personal and professional. And I think this is a very clear way in which we really discount the just how different your life is and how much more enriched it is when you are able to have kids and, and have that yeah, setting I in which that's possible. Um, I think, um, sorry to interrupt, let me just uh, put like a small side note here and just say that people say that kids require a lot of work, they do. But mm -hmm. think about how much time we spend doing very useless things. <laughs> it's really, it's really like if you were to take the hours of, of your week that you spend doing less useful things, which I don't know, useful is kind of a subjective term, but like, okay, so say like Netflix, Facebook, Instagram, social I media. I many useless um, things. I had to have my co-resident set a timer on TikTok for me so I wouldn't keep watching it because oh. I've uselessly <laughs> been on that app for many hours of my life. So if you were to like, if you were to sum up those hours, you, I mean, you could have a kid and, and you'd be, you'd manage this <laughs> because, because it's just one day when I have a kid with Daniel, I'm going to be like, Daniel, it's okay. The time in which I could have been sleep, I would just would have been watching TikTok. It's fine. <laughs> But like seriously like but seriously it's like okay maybe a little bit more than you know the the casual tiktok dalliance but yeah. like but it really is it, it, there's just a lot more time in our days than we think we have that you know people who have pet, like who walk their dogs or whatever they're they like you know they have they make the time to like walk their dog or like take their dog out or something because you know we have the time a lot more than we think and maybe so, a lot of that's intention and it's choosing where you want to spend your time. And is it on what's most important to you or yeah. not? And is it yeah. that we get distracted by things that are pleasurable, but may not be meaningful yeah. right? as we yeah. consider like the pursuit of happiness versus a kind of the pursuit of meaning. I think, sorry, I don't know what, I don't know what um, prompted me to say that. So I, I forget where you were going with your particular point, oh, but we I didn't mean to interrupt about... you. No, we were just talking about that there are so many unconscious and unpredictable benefits of having kids. And you were just saying that it really is worthwhile. And there are so many other possibly useless or meaningless things that we do all day that could be better put into this. And we don't think about that. We don't see that as kind of another choice. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that as we've been talking, I've really been thinking about is this idea of choice. I think along this road, 
you were able to have a lot of that autonomy. And I think in some ways you took that for yourself, which I think is really unique and just a, I think very hard for most people to think that that is a possibility. This idea that you decided, okay, this was the best time for us to have kids, which I think is a choice in itself, but then also being able to think about, well, this is not the right priority for me to submit this abstract or to answer this email during this critical phase in my life. And then the third choice that you kind of made in thinking about how are we going to decide what are the most valuable experiences or pieces of childcare that's important to us and how are we going to be able to let go a little bit and let someone else help us. And I think there's mm -hmm. so much guilt and so many cultural and societal norms that surround that, that I've heard, at least in patients who are postpartum, when I talk to them about what's going on and why it's difficult and what help they have and what barriers there are to that. And I'm just really happy that you were able to find a happy medium in between where you were able to do everything that was important to you and then kind of guilt-free allow other people to help you and not feel like you had to do this all by yourself and all alone and beyond just relying on your partner which is I think traditionally what many people rely on um, I felt like you had a lot of great other supports but that some of it came from not only I think we kind of strive to make our society a little bit more friendly to families but maybe one of the other steps that we have to do is also make some choices for ourselves even if it's hard and I think you were a really good example of that that I think I haven't seen actually, or, or not a lot of people I've talked about. So I am proud of you that you were able to do that. I just think it's rare and hard. Well, and thank it, you. When I think about it, if I were in that position, I think it would actually be really hard. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, um, you know, it's, you have to make these decisions when it comes to necessity. And my husband was <laughs> really not at home, like at all in the last so year. Busy. So. Yeah. So his schedule from July, 2020 to July, 2021 was the most impossible schedule I've ever seen. And out of necessity, I knew that I needed help and I knew that I needed to plan for it in advance and I wouldn't be able to make it without help. I would be so sleep deprived. It would be impossible. And I knew that, you know, I had worked so hard for my PhD and if I couldn't finish it in a reasonable manner, I would be really disappointed in myself. So yeah. because of all those things, I knew, you know, I needed to take care of my kid. I needed to like do well by my kid and I needed to have a situation that would allow me to finish my, my thesis. And given my husband's schedule, it, you know, I essentially viewed us as like long distance because he was basically never home. So I needed, um, I needed help. And yeah. so I think people should totally be guilt-free about that and realistic about needing help and getting help and getting as much help as you can because um, it's really critical during that initial stage where you're really vulnerable, you have so little sleep. If you're not eating properly, your milk supply decreases, you can't you know, take care of your kid with a free mind. You can't do your work with a free mind. You can't even do your work productively because you're so tired. And so I don't think it's something that anyone should feel they have to be the primary person or their partner has to be the primary person because in a lot of situations, 
it's oftentimes not possible and that's okay. And you just have to kind of work with that situation and they do. And I always tell myself that my son's never going to know who took care of him at different parts of his life. <laughs> and, or maybe he'll uh, be better he'll, for it. He'll have lots of different and maybe he'll, yeah, exactly. a lot of different characters. Exactly. Parts. Exactly. I think honestly, like having this adaptability and being able to be cared for by multiple people is actually really mm-hmm. important because it really helps you as a kid adapt to different situations and not have as much stranger anxiety. Well, obviously there are good and bads about that, but the transition from say like a nanny to like daycare, that's so much easier if you've already dealt with having multiple babysitters or nannies or things like that. We wanted our baby to be adaptable and flexible. So I view this as like, you know, good investment in that. So, and I wish that we were kinder to ourselves and we gave ourselves more of that flexibility. I think there's been a lot of this narrative that you're not a good parent unless you do all of these things yourself. And I think it's really quite the contrary. And we are so harsh on ourselves when we want to ask for help and when we rely on other people for yeah for these things yeah I think that's a whole topic in and of itself of the the guilt that society gives to parents about how to be the best parent and Mm -hmm. whatever we don't have to go into that territory but I think the good thing about being kind of one of the first parents in our group is that I pretty (laughs) much am doing whatever I want and there's really no one judging me Um, no pressure you're paving the way yeah, they're, they're, I mean, not really paving the way, but I just don't feel like there's anything I should be doing. Like, I don't have an older sibling that's doing mm. whatever. I don't have, you know, they did mention that, you know, Kevin's um, brother and sister-in-law, brother. Mm-hmm. you know, have kids. And that's obviously an example, but I don't have anyone breathing down my back of, you know, the things that I should be doing. And that's really made it easier to kind of find my own way of being a mom. And I appreciate that a lot. I think it would be tough to have to follow in someone's shoes or someone's expectations. Yeah. And maybe that's really what we should encourage more instead of this idea of how do you give advice so that someone can do all these pieces or be most prepared or equipped really to talk more about flexibility and and talk about your mindset going into this and talk about the other resources that are available in your life that maybe you just traditionally don't think of as available to help you. Yeah. It's actually a really interesting angle of the whole COVID isolation part of having a, a, being a parent because, Mm -hmm. okay, if COVID wasn't around and maybe I was connected with more mom groups or mom things Mm -hmm. or whatever, like I might be more influenced by what other moms are doing. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is really nice to have, you know, just to, to say, be part of these like, like lactation groups or Facebook groups right. that like say, this is what you know we do or mm-hmm. from the advice perspective. But the great thing I think about being able to be isolated or, <laughs> you know, make the choice of how engaged I want to be in these yeah. different communities yeah. is that I don't feel overt pressure to do things I don't want to do because I'm just not engaging in it so it's a nice kind of aftermath of being a mom in a pandemic situation as I choose how my level of engagement with the other moms in my community and there's and a huge parallel that with helps. that and kind of weddings too during this time like we've seen so many people yeah. elope or do certain different types of weddings smaller weddings that maybe they want to do all along and now that you don't have the societal pressure and you can do more yeah. in a vacuum of what you and your family and your partner would want. 
we're seeing a lot more variation than what was traditionally there. And maybe that's a good thing for us to all explore and realize that it doesn't have to be one way. Yeah, I think no, the for last, sure, for sure. The point that I'm actually most afraid of when I think about having kids, this idea of it and what composes our identity and this longing or feeling of loss during a time where you can't be fully engaged in other activities that define who you were while you're mm-hmm. so busy in that kind of acute postpartum period. And it makes mm-hmm. me think about what changes with our consciousness or our psyche if we have the same identity, but we do it in different parts. I think about this because residency has forced me to be this way. Whereas before, I think I was able to be a more holistic person where I'd have my social life and my family life and my work and all the things, my passions that I care about, I could do them all simultaneously in some Mm -hmm. strange way. In residency, Mm -hmm. that has not allowed that at all. I actually have to do each thing compartmentalized at only certain times of the year. And Mm -hmm. that has been a hard adjustment. But I came to this realization that just because I'm not doing something for these two or three months, it doesn't mean that that's not a part of me anymore. It's just not a part of me now. And I guess in some ways, I'm glad to have had that experience earlier on. But I'm sure the idea of pregnancy really magnifies that much more than what I felt in this short residency period, which is a little bit more artificially created and and created from work and has a lot less responsibility. I guess my big question with this that I'm worried about is would you being able to do all of that in almost sequence or not all together affect how you think of each other? Like, do you think it's equivalent you being able to do all aspects of what you love all at the same time versus you doing them when it's possible in your new state of being or your new life? Like, how does that change our understanding of identity? And how have you seen that change as you went from before having Rian to now having Rian and what your lives are like? And especially that short period where you weren't able to do them all at the same time. Yeah, I think when I was going through the postpartum period, I was definitely very unsure of whether I would ever return to my prior self and my prior productivity, my prior identity, because like I mentioned, I didn't have the time to partake in scientific discussions, email conversations, paper writing, experiment planning, any of the things that I would normally do that would make me really happy during my research years. And so, yeah, that was really concerning that I would, that I had lost and would never be able to return to that part of my life. But, you know, now looking back in retrospect, it was, it was temporary. I was able to return to it eventually. My productivity was a little bit modified because of, you know, I couldn't go to lab the crazy hours I used to, you know, when, because I had a kid at home, but like, it, it was fine. Like I made it work, you know, I, when my husband would come home, sometimes I'd have to go back and do more work and it was fine. We made it work and it happened. Like I was able to do something like amazing. And I just have to remember that I, what I'm capable of and channel that. And I literally just remind myself of it. So um, it's just become like kind of this mantra that like moms are unstoppable. They can do whatever you know, if you just have the, if you just remember what you're capable of. So it's, it's, it's become like a really strengthening force in my life, just this identity of being a mom and a professionally driven person. Yeah. Well, I find that incredibly inspiring. And I really hope that other people who listen to this and who got to hear your story also, that this just gives them a lot of food for thought, that it hopefully empowers them to be able to make choices in their lives that's the best for them and take that 
adventurous step I think that you have and <laughs> I think these interviews they really always go in a lot of different directions and I just get to learn so much about all aspects of kind of having kids with a career but also I get to learn a lot about my friends so I just feel really Aww. grateful that you're willing to do this with me I hope yeah. other people benefit from it and if you know other people who want to be featured or who are interested um, they can always let me know and then we have a email that's associated with this called myworkmybaby at gmail.com and some people okay. can email us and ask any questions or follow-up things so I'll let you know if anyone says anything or we have any additional pieces thank you